that gives us life. Because your love is patient. Your love is kind. Your love is generous. Your love doesn't hold any wrongs against us. Your love. Father God, we thank you for your love right now. Thank you for the way that Laszlo just brought that out in that communion. An amazing love. An incredible love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wow. Great to have you here. And uh, thanks, Jades, for getting out of bed. Joining us this morning, our, our fill-in musician, a few people are away, the winters are away, and there's a few others are away um, at the moment, and uh, so thanks for stepping in, and poor old Tim's lost his voice, which um, makes it nice and quiet for Beck this afternoon, um, it's, uh, it's a good thing, bless you, it's great to have you here, I trust that you're doing well. Um, I was going to get you up and do some stretches, but I don't think we will. Let's get straight into the Word of God, hey? Let's see what the Word of God has to say to us this morning um, as we open up His Scripture. We're going to go straight to John, John chapter 6, as we've been walking through this great book. I've loved this book. I've read it so many times this year, and I continue to read it, and I want you to to soak it in. The Word of God is powerful. It's like a two-edged sword that cuts deep. It is the Word of God. It is the Word that brings life. And uh, today, as we read it, let's allow it to bring life. John wrote this, that we might have life. And let's read it with that expectation that today, this Word brings life. Let's read it together. Father God, just take these words, bring life to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Chapter 7, verse 1, remember it's six months now since uh, chapter 6 has happened and the feeding of the 5,000 and all the amazing things that happened there and then Jesus introduces himself as the bread of life and now we come to chapter 7, six months later at another feast. This is called the Feast of Shelters or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booth. Um, That's not Margie's feast. I just thought I'd say, Maggie was a booth and now she's a whore. It's all like small, now big. Anyway, so here we go. Here we go. It's, um, it took a while. See? It's a dead joke. It's not even Father's Day. Okay. John 7, verse 1. After this. Is that music playing? Was it just a. That's so cool. It's like dramatic music. It's outside. It sounded so cool. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can't do such wonderful things, sorry, if you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe. It's interesting, isn't it? We'll come back to that one. Jesus said, now is not the right time. Everyone say time. Everyone say right time. He has a right time for you. 
for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me. If you sense, it's a powerful statement there. The world hated Jesus. Why? Let's read on a little bit further. Because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. Second time he says that. Interesting thought. The world hated Jesus because he revealed he revealed their evil. You see, you and I carry the name of Jesus. And don't be surprised if the world struggles against us. Don't be surprised if the, we've, we've worked really hard at trying to be seeker-friendly, haven't we? And sometimes in being seeker-friendly, we've managed to water down the things that Jesus said because we don't want to be offensive. But here's the truth. You will be because you're holding the person of Jesus. And the person of Jesus is, wasn't, wasn't greatly accepted. In fact, Jesus himself said, they hate me because I expose evil. Let's carry on with this message. And after saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly staying out of public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him and the festival, at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued, He's a good man, but others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much? When he hasn't been trained, they asked. So Jesus told them, My message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. And anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. But a person who seeks to honour the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. We still live in an age where people want to glorify themselves in ministry or want to glorify themselves in, in what they achieve. It's like, God, use my gift. What about me? I want my, my, my stage. And, and let me tell you, I think we all suffer from that. But God says this, I want you to have, be focused on one thing. I want your morning services not to be focused on all these many things, but on seeking my glory. It's the glory of God. It's promoting Him. And whatever, whoever's up here, promote Jesus. Whoever who's in your small groups, let's promote Jesus. It's not about being glorified for a great sermon or message or worship or whatever. It's about whether Jesus is being glorified. And that's what we want to focus on. And that's what Jesus says. He who focuses on that. Then he goes on to say, where am I? I lost it. Those who speak for themselves. Sorry, Moses gave you the law, but none of you obeys it. In fact, you are trying to kill me. 
The crowd replied, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath and you were amazed. But you work on the Sabbath too, when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. Actually, this tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. For if the correct time for circumcision, circumcising your son, falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it, so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for not healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. What a great argument Jesus gives to them. You see, Jesus is coming to this place and he says, I'm not going to be there, but actually he turns up there. And he turns up there because he wants to give a proclamation. He wants to give a word that's going to change the whole circumstance. I was thinking about this this morning and I was thinking about uh, Beck and Tim actually. And I was thinking about your wedding day. And I'm confused about wedding days. I do a lot of weddings, right? I do a lot of weddings. In fact, not so much these days, but I was averaging about nine to ten a year. Um, I think I've only got three this year. I love a good wedding. It's great. But there's a part of the wedding that confuses me. It's that part that, that happens and, and the couple are usually waiting for. It's the part you're thinking it's the vows. No, it's not. You're thinking it's the giving of that expensive ring. And gee, they're getting more expensive every time I do one. But it's not... It's that thing where they put their lips together and kiss. And then everybody cheers. As though, wow, they did it. Woohoo! It works. It's like, what the deal is that? It's the, the big face suck. It seems to be the big thing at the event. I, I did do one wedding where I did do one wedding where the people this was the, the first time they'd ever kissed at the wedding. I was very nervous in case they got it wrong or they didn't know how to do it or, you know, missed the lips or something like that. It's like, you need some coaching on this, but, but it worked. But it's not the kiss. It's what happens before the kiss. You see, before the kiss, the pastor, the minister, the celebrant will get up and say something along the lines of, with the authority invested in me, I now proclaim you husband and wife. You can now kiss. I still can't work out why we have to do the kiss. But anyway, so we have the kiss. It's like, do that outside. Find a room or something. But, don't, but it's the proclamation. You see, at that particular moment, everything has changed. From that particular moment, before you were, you were two individuals, now I proclaim you as one. Before you were free to spend your money, now you've got to share it. Before it was like there was no expectation, now the work begins. You see, at that time of proclamation, Jesus went into Jerusalem to make a very powerful proclamation. That would change circumstances, which changes the horizon, which changes your life. It was a powerful proclamation. And I want to suggest our message today is actually, I changed it a few times, but I've gone from external to internal. To go to the next level with Jesus, we've got to go from the external to the 
internal. Let me show you what happens. First of all, Jesus is there. We read it um, at the beginning. It says, verse 1, Jesus was traveling around Galilee. He was in his hometown. He was hanging around with his friends and the people who knew him. This was private showing of who he was and his miracles that he could do. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. So this was a different, different, a different festival. Another six months, there'll be another festival. And that's going to be the one where he'll probably be crucified. But this festival, this was the festival where we actually had the festival of shelters, which was all about celebrating God's provision for them with the house, the, the tent, so they would actually live outside of Jerusalem's about 35, the actual area that was in was about 35 um, acres was where the temple was and around that people would live and they would actually come out and they would build tents like things on top of their houses and live out there for eight days. And the whole idea was to remember and to reflect and rejoice on God's provision for their shelter. And then in the temple what they would do is they would get these big pots and just fill them with oil and they would light them at night again to remind them how God had led them out of out of Egypt with, with the light at night. And so they reckoned that the whole place glowed, all around just glowed with these lights that were lit all through the night. Another part of the festival was also the pouring of water, which I'll come to in a minute because that's quite significant. The whole time they're celebrating and they're remembering what God has done for them. The whole celebration, it's good to do that. That's why we remember communion. It's good to remember what God has done, what God has provided, the miracles that God has done. There are many miracles that God's been doing in this house over the last few weeks. I keep hearing them. I get excited. God is your shelter. God is the one that will lead you. God is the one that will feed you. God is the one that wants to provide for you. And so they were celebrating that. But Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. In other words, go and do some of your tricks because if you do your stuff, people might believe. Get out of just hiding out here. Let's go public on this thing, Jesus. Let's get public. There will be your marketing um, um, group, and we're going to get out there, and we're going we're gonna to market for you, and we're going to just get some miracles happening. People will join you. Your church will grow. It's going to look good. But here's an interesting point. It was his four brothers who actually said that. And at that stage, it says that his brothers didn't believe him. Who were the four brothers? Who can remember the names of the four brothers of Jesus? Anyone know the four brothers of Jesus? Come on. Well, James, awesome. James, come back to this one. Anyone else? Come on. Bible people. Who? Jude or Judas. His name was Judas, but it wasn't Judas Iscariot, but they did also call him Jude. Well done. Little, little, lollies for you. Okay, what else? Come on, there's two more. Got two more. You got nothing? He's done. Anyone else? Come on, two, two, two. Yep, Joseph, little Joe. That was little Joe. He was Joe Jr. So Joseph, who else? One more. Well, one more. Come on, one more. Jack. No, it wasn't Jack. And it wasn't Bill. And it wasn't Stephen. Come on. We could be here all day. 
No, not John. Fred, no. And it wasn't Rob. Everyone's a Rob around here, but it wasn't Rob. Simon. Who said Simon? Woohoo! Simon, she's good. Uh, you must be married. You can take that because you're one. So you can have that one as well. Simon. Interesting that these guys didn't believe. Here's the good news, everybody. If you've got siblings that don't believe in Jesus, they're in good company. These guys lived with Jesus. They were brought up with Jesus. They saw Jesus turn water into wine. They were there at the, at the wedding feast. They saw Jesus feed a whole bunch of people. They've been hanging around with Jesus. They know what he's doing. They've seen what he's doing. And yet they did not believe. Siblings sometimes are the hardest ones to bring into relationship. But they did not believe. But here's the good news. We know that later on, James did because he wrote the book of James. James ended up heading up the uh, leader of the Jewish of the church in Jerusalem at the time. We know that uh, that um, Judas, which is Judas's brother, who was also called Jude, who also wrote a book in the Bible, and we believe that Simon and Joe Joseph also became believers. They did afterwards, but at this time they didn't. And they're saying, "Go on, off you go. Let's do some miracles, and people." will believe. But Jesus says, no, we're not going. Why aren't we going? Here's the reason. Miracles do not grow faith. You say, well, Well, of course it was. If we have miracles, you see, there's lots of people I know who've had amazing miracles, but don't walk with Jesus. There was lots of people who saw Jesus do amazing things but didn't follow him. In fact, many in the chapter 6 walked away from him, even though they saw him do great miracles. You see, we're even in a church today, we're looking for the performance. We're looking for the external. If God does this, then we would believe. I've even prayed, Father God, would you heal so-and-so who's not a believer so they would become a believer? Would, would you do the miracle, Jesus? Because if you do the miracle, everyone will believe. We even set up a whole program in our, in our state here, which was around a, an outreach, which was all based. If people could see the supernatural, they would believe. But unfortunately, they don't. Some do, but many don't. Because, you see, it's external. We want the external. God, I want you to do this. Great God, I'm desperate. And he does it. And then six months later, we've forgotten about him again. Sometimes six weeks later. You see, we, we run around looking for the great event, the great things. Church, we have a tendency to be looking for the external. If we see the external, we worship God. And that's the easy place to worship God. But once the external's gone, then we get back to everyday life. And we wonder, why aren't we growing deeper in Jesus? Because we want the externals. And Jesus is changing it. He's changing this place. He's taking us to a different level. He's saying, no, I want to move it from just the external place where I'm here and just do the things for you, but I want to move it internally. I want to come and live inside here. You see, we, we have even have a tendency saying, if, if I do the good things on the outside, I'm saved. No, Jesus is saying it's not the outward that I'm looking at. It's the inward. I don't want you to be those whitewashed tombs. I want you to be inward. I want to move from there to here. I want you, church, to go bigger. And I'll tell you why. 
because the world needs you to have an internal relationship with Jesus, not an external relationship, not one that's based on what I can get and the miracles I can see happen and I can feel good because I prayed and you were healed and look how spiritual I am. I believe in miracles. I pray for miracles. I believe that God changes lives externally. But you see, that's not the place that brings us into the kingdom. It's got to be internal. And this is where Jesus comes and says, I'm not going to you to that feast because that feast is celebrating a whole bunch of stuff that, I, that God did, that I did years ago. And that's okay. But my time isn't quite yet. Because if I go with you now, they're just going to kill me. And that's going to happen later. But let's go a few days later where we start to get to the place of certain celebrations. So he comes and he turns up and he starts to speak things that are stirring people up because he is hitting at the external issues. And then he makes this most amazing statement, a statement I'd like us to have a look at. And you'll need to turn to John 7, verse 37. And this is now on the last day. This is when the, the celebration and the, and the feast is getting exciting. This is where everyone's dancing in the streets. This is where we really get excited. And Jesus makes this amazing statement because this would have been the time of the week where they would have taken these big, big jugs of water. The priests would take them and they would take them into the temple and they would take them up to the rock. And they would pour the, the water on the rock to remind them of what happened in Exodus 17. And Exodus 17 was an, an interesting story because the people had come out of Sin or Sinai, Sinai they come out of there and they're on their way and they were thirsty, really thirsty, because they walked into a place that had a drought. And they said, Moses, Moses, what have you done to us now? And he's going, it wasn't me, it was him. And so he talks to God and says, God, the people are thirsty. <laughs> this is fantastic. God says to him, okay, Mo, I set this one up. It's okay. God, I didn't make a mistake with my planning here. I, didn't, I actually did this on purpose. Take the stick that I gave you, that, that magic wand. I want you to take that stick and I want you to hit the rock. When you hit the rock, water's going to pour out and people are going to drink. So Jesus comes and this is what they're celebrating and Jesus comes and speaks out loud. Let's pick it up. Chapter 7, verse 27, 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said this, living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not entered into his glory. The first thing is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? I'm not thirsty for a miracle. Am I thirsty for him? You see, notice that Jesus, that God had led people out of, so he's relating back to this story, led them out of captivity. And now they're in a place of drought. And I believe God likes to set us up in places of drought. You see, God did not make a mistake. He wanted them to be thirsty before he provided. 
See, he could have given them camel packs with those little water things on to walk around. He could have provided that beforehand. Good planning would have said, make sure you give them plenty of water. Take a couple of camels or something. I don't know what you're going to do, but let's make sure they got water. Get packs of those water things from Woolworths and make sure they got plenty of water. That would have been good planning. But Jesus did better planning because he wanted them to be thirsty first. God wants us to be thirsty for him. He wants to set us up in places where we are, are so thirsty for him. We will cry out. We will cry out from the depths of us. You see, I think sometimes in the church as Christians, there's too, we're too comfortable. And I think sometimes we're not thirsty for him. We're thirsty for our church experience. We might be thirsty for our, 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 our you know, large churches, but are we thirsty for God? Have we put ourselves in a place where we're desperate? Is Steve desperate for him? Where I'll fast and I'll pray and I'll push hard until I, I'm thirsty for you, God. Not for a miracle, but for you. See, I, I heard uh, Andrew Williams who spoke at the, the uh, Disruptors and he was talking um, to the team, the leadership team. And he made this comment about how God had moved him from a great, large, successful ministry in America somewhere. somewhere. He was part of the church that wrote that song, Reckless Love. And, uh, and he said, but God was telling me I had to leave. And I thought, you're crazy. But he said, I had to leave there and come to Australia to a place where I didn't even know what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden, a miracle happened. And then he came over to WA and he didn't know where he was going to live. And a miracle happened. And he said... God put me in places where he was the only one that could actually do anything. He actually set him up in a space where God had to move. How much time, how many times, I wonder if God is saying to us, believe me, trust me, come out of that place and come to a place where only I can be your supplier. Maybe give your finances away. But oh, I'll, give what, I'll give my surplus, but I won't give everything. But maybe God's asking you to give everything. You say, that's scary. That's radical. But I know people have done that. And they become thirsty for God again. I know people have given up good jobs and sat there and thought, comfortable jobs. And in God, because they want to be in a place where God is doing miracles. Now, I'm not saying you... Try, you I'm not saying you... you Put God to the test. What I'm saying is listen to him because he might be leading you to a place where you'll be thirsty. Listen to him. Just because it doesn't sound like it's safe doesn't mean it's not God. Listen to him because he wants to lead us to a place where we're thirsty. So we will cry out. He says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Do you really believe that Jesus, he wants to take us to a greater place, church. He wants to take us to a, to a place, another level with him. That's more than just believing externally, but it's getting to a place of desperation where we will believe in him internally. And we will come and drink of him. I love that concept. Moses took the stick and he hit, and it says, strike, strike the rock. Jesus is the rock on which we build our lives. And he was whipped, and he was beaten, and he was striped. 
and he, he, he was hit with rods. Why? So that you and I would have the living water because he is the living water. He wants to fill us up. He wants to fill us up from inside out. And then it says, drink of the living water. Why? Because it will flow from your heart. Let me read it from the Passion. It says this, Then, on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood and shouted out to the crowd, All you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. Believe in me so that the rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like Scripture says. Then it burst out of us. The world is thirsty for Jesus. And they're filling it up with all sorts of stuff. And guess who's got the water? Guess who's got the living water? You and I. We have access to the tank. We have access to the tap. We have access to the big water tank. It's there for us. But are we thirsty enough to say, God, I am desperate for my family. I am desperate for my community. I am desperate for my school. I am thirsty for them. Fill me up that I might turn the tap on that they would be flooded. Because I think that's the next level. That's the next level. Would we come to Jesus because we are thirsty? We had Alpha here yesterday. And I love the people who pour that on and put that on and put time and hours into it and prayer into it. I want us to be a church that's thirsty. Thirsty so that we will be filled up with living water because there's a world outside us that the water would fill us up and burst through. It's not about my own personal experience anymore. It's not about my, my, my good, good feeling. It's about being filled up because the world needs the church to be filled up with everything of the kingdom of God. Let's stand. Music. Let's have a, bring the music up here. I'm gonna, we're going to have some ministry here this morning, I think. What's the time? Oh, I've gone too long. Let's have some ministry here this morning. So stand up with me. Close your eyes if you wouldn't mind. Musical people, get up here and do something clever. I want to ask you today, are you feeling thirsty? Are you feeling thirsty? Has the experience with God that's been external no longer filling the gap, filling the hole inside you? See, it starts off externally, but it has to finish internally and then flow out externally. It's got to come in to go out. I want to ask you, are you thirsty? Has God put a thirst on your, in you that, that only He can fill up? Are you thirsty so much so for, for the people around you who are broken and hurting and desperate? Are you thirsty for their sake? Because guess what? You're the water bottle. You're the water bottle that God wants to hand out to the people around us. It's got to be internal first so it can flow out externally. I'm going to ask you today, are you filled up to the brim with the living water? Or are you feeling thirsty? Because today, 
I want us to take the stick and I want us to open up the rock that the water might flow out and fill us up and fill us up and fill us up. Holy Spirit, come right now because the Holy Spirit wants to fill us up. He wants to fill you up with a love that goes beyond the love that you know. He wants to fill you up with the gifts of the Spirit, the things that you can't do but only He can. He wants to fill you up with the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness, the self-control. He wants to fill us up. No longer can we have a whole bunch of grumpy-looking Christians. We want Christians who are filled to the top with the Spirit of God because the world don't need grumpy Christians. The world doesn't need religious Christians. The world needs spirit-filled Christians who are overflowing with His presence, who are baptized in the Spirit totally from head to toe. Just as we go through the waters of baptism where you sink into the water and come back up, that we might sink into the water of Jesus, the Spirit of God, that we would baptize ourselves. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. If you're thirsty for Him right now, I'm going to ask you to put your hands out and say, God, I'm thirsty for you. He says, if you're thirsty, come to me. Do you believe me? Then you can come. Only one ticket that you need is the ticket of belief. It's not any other ticket. (laughs) Just got to believe in him, he said. That's, that's That's the only criteria. If you believe in me, you can come. Are you thirsty? Do you believe? Then come to Jesus right now with your hands out. Ask Holy Spirit, you will feel afresh from head to toe. Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus. I think now there's people in my life who, who don't know you, who are thirsty, who are broken. And I know you're the answer, Jesus. So would you fill me up? Fill me up that you might flow out. Imagine everybody in this place, the number of people that you have contact with, family, friends, neighbours, community, workplaces, <laughs> all those people that are looking for something, they're desperate for something, they're, they're grumbling because they've walked into nothing. And you might be the very carrier of the water. So God, fill me up. Fill me up. Fill me up for those... If I counted the people in here and if you all had 10, that would be over a 1,000 people who are desperate that you could be the water carriers for today. Spirit of God, fill me up that the water would gush out into a world that desperately needs it. Thank you, Jesus. If you want prayer this morning, I'm going to invite you up the front. If you feel that you would like to come and pray for people, I'm going to give you that invite to do that. But if you want prayer this morning, maybe you want to be filled up again. Maybe you want to pray that God would flow through you to those that you love, those friends, those neighbours, those colleagues. Then come at the front. And we're going to pray. I'm going to get some other people to come and pray. 
Um, we're going to pray for you. We're in ministry right now as we sing this last song.